You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. We're in a series at Long Hollow called Did God Really Say? And we're looking at what the Bible says about sex, marriage, sexuality, and gender. And today, we're gonna talk about what the Bible says about homosexuality. Now, I wanna say right out the gate that I recognize this is a very sensitive topic for some people. And I wanna acknowledge right, right at the beginning that the church has not done the best job in handling this topic. There have been a lot of things done to harm people under the banner of Christ, and whether that was intentional or not, it's a reality. I said this before, but I want to just say it again. Over the past six months, I studied this topic, and two things have kind of come to light. One is I'm more convinced on the topic uh, that Scripture uh, is saying what it always has said. But I've also come to have more empathy for people who are struggling with this kind of lifestyle. They may be wondering, why is this even important to talk about? Should the church even be talking? Why are you preaching on this topic? Well, there's been a rise in those from, from generation to generation who identify as LGBTQ. For example, my generation, Generation X, we actually, my generation, identified as LGBTQ 4.2% of us. So 4.2% in my generation. The next generation, millennials, the number actually doubled. The number of millennials who identify that way are 10.5%. From millennial generation to generation Z, which is basically my oldest son, uh, who's 14 up to early 20s, the number doubled again, 208 and if the trend continues uh, to the next generation, which is my youngest son and below, Generation Alpha, 41.6% of that generation will identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, or queer. Now, when something changes this fast, this soon, you have to ask the question, what's going on, right? Like, is... There's a sudden change in how women give birth to children. Have we missed it for thousands and thousands of years? Has every generation before us been ignorant of sexuality and what it means to express our sexuality? Are we more perceptive today than our parents and grandparents years before? Or is there something else going on? I recognize there's been a polarization of those who would identify as gay or lesbian, and I'll use those terms interchangeably, lesbian and gay, I'll use gay from here and out. There's been a polarization, meaning that if you're identifying as gay or lesbian, you have viewed the church as your enemy. And on the other hand, there are some who in the church have viewed those in the lifestyle of gay and lesbian lifestyle as being the enemy. Both of them are wrong. Most gay men and women even classify Christians as those angry people at rallies or those yelling with signs in their hands out on the street saying, all gays go to hell. I want to tell you today, all Christians are not like that. Those of us who have been forgiven much actually love much. You know, I find it very difficult to hate someone when you're looking across the table into their eyes. 
And when you actually take the time to listen to their story or even hear their struggles. Every person, Long Hollow, we know this, but I want to remind you, every person, regardless of race, regardless of tongue or tribe, whether you agree with them or not, is made in the image of God. We're talking about real people here, remember. We're talking about sons and daughters. We're talking about brothers and sisters. We're not talking about ideas or caricatures or avatars or hypotheticals. We're talking about real people. Two weeks ago, we started this sermon series just building the case that there is objective truth in the world, and that objective truth is found in the Bible. And by studying the Bible, we hear what God says. God's word is the authority on all things. Now, if you're here for the first time and you haven't heard the previous two messages, let me remind you to go back and listen because they build upon each other. And so this one is the third in a four-part series. And whenever you come to a subject like this, I find it tempting to want, now watch this, to want to start with friends or family members or faces of people we know. As tempting as that is, I'm going to ask you not to do that. When you come to want to know what God has to say, we have to come to the Bible first and let the Bible influence our understanding. Last week I talked about how God says that sex was reserved for the marriage covenant of one man one woman, one flesh, one lifetime. So what we're going to do today is we're going to, now that we've built a case for that, we're going to say, see what the Bible says about homosexuality. And then at the end, we're going to answer the question, and here's the question I think on everyone's mind, can I be gay and be a Christian? I only have two points today. I want to build a case for um, where we're going to go. And the first one is this, if you're taking notes, homosexuality is contrary to God's design. Homosexuality, the lifestyle of homosexuality is contrary to God's design. I want to spend a little time in the Old Testament. We'll spend a little more time in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, obviously, I don't have time to just exegete every passage and explain what the text is saying. I encourage you to go look at it for yourself, but I'll speak with an overarching theme of God's design for human sexuality. We said it last week, God designed man and woman, male and female, husband and wife, to be in a one flesh, one lifetime, one man, one woman covenant of marriage. And God showed us last week that any sexual activity outside of that man and woman, husband and wife, marriage is called sin. Now, sin, just to explain it, if you don't know, sin is just severing intimacy with God. Now, God's going to go on and show us through his word that there are deviations in the Old Testament from this one marriage, one man, one woman, one flesh covenant. We see it in Leviticus chapters 18 and 19 with the sexual sins and the penalties. We see this in Genesis chapter 17 or 18 with Sodom and Gomorrah. And again, don't have time to go through the passages. I just encourage you to go through them. One other thing I want to point out about the Leviticus passages is that anytime you see in Leviticus sexual deviations of any kind, watch this, of any kind from God's design for sexual intimacy, the penalty is the same, whether heterosexual or homosexual. So the penalty for sexual sin in the economy of God is always the same. Now, why do I point that out? Because preachers have a tendency to focus on same-sex 
perversions or deviations, and they turned a blind eye or a deaf ear to all sexual perversion, which God clearly says any act outside of the marriage covenant is sin. The New Covenant, I mean the New Testament, Paul is gonna give us some commentary on the Old Testament passages. He's gonna spend a lot of time speaking to the church of Rome and the church of Corinth. Let's start with the church of Rome. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter one. And I want you to see this. If you don't have a Bible, you can look at the screen or you can go on your smartphone or, or smartphone. You can go on your new iPhone or your iPad. When you're there, you can say word, Romans 1:18. Paul, right out the gate, is telling the church of Rome a couple things uh, about the character of God and how God responds to sin. For the wrath of God, or God's wrath, is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you don't have to know Jesus to know there's a God, and you don't have to know God personally to know there's, there's someone who created all this. I mean, you could look around and see this wasn't my happenstance. And the reason you're not able to see it, he says, is because of the unrighteousness in your life, which suppresses the truth. He goes on, verse 24. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, and this is sexual impurity of any kind, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created, or served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever, amen. What Paul's saying is they've heard the standard of God, they've heard the word of God, and they're saying, no thank you, I'm gonna continue doing it my way, which is a choice. People have a choice, you follow God's way, or the world's way, did God really say or did Satan really say? And so that's where they are. And so what he's gonna show us is a specific instance of sexual immorality that was happening, verse 26. For this reason, because they suppressed the truth, because they rejected the word of God, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. So the question is, what are unnatural and natural relations? Well, he's gonna explain. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another, uh, other men. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. I probably should have warned you when we began, that language is... <laughs> It's pretty extreme. And what Paul is saying is this. He's saying the judgment of God for this kind of sin, of sexual immorality in the form of homosexuality, homo being one and the same, hetero being different, the, the, the perversion, the penalty for this perversion is that God allows them to continue in this act of sin. And the punishment is that he doesn't rescue them from the homosexual lifestyle. In fact, he gives them over to the devastating consequences of it. Now you're probably saying, well, God's just singling out same-sex attraction. He doesn't do that. In fact, Paul, in another letter to Corinth, is gonna say something very similar about another sexual sin. If you remember, 1 Corinthians 5, Paul's gonna say, there is a man in your church who is sleeping with his dad's new wife who's not his mom. So what do we do with him? Paul says, turn him 
over to Satan, remove him from the church so that he can be restored and repent and, and be redeemed back into the church. And so he's not just singling out, singling out same-sex attraction. Paul finishes this section this way, verse 32. Although these individuals know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Now the key word here, watch this, you could circle it in your Bible, is practice. And you have to hear what I'm about to say to understand what I believe the Bible's saying. There is a distinction. So practice is action. Practice is conduct, okay? Those who practice, this is, the, this is the action of your life. What Paul is trying to show us is that there's a difference between the offense and the offender. There's a difference between attraction and action, okay? What do I mean? It's not the attraction to someone of the same sex that prevents someone from an intimate relationship with Jesus. If that was the case, someone in here who has an attraction to a person other than your spouse of the same sex would be hopeless. Let's be honest. It's not the attraction that is sin. So same-sex attraction is not sin. It is the acting, follow me, on the attraction through lusting in the mind or physically with the body that is sin, which the Bible says severs our intimacy with God, regardless of that is whether it's heterosexual or homosexual. Now here's the good news. Paul is gonna not end here. You're gonna read the letter in its entirety. Paul's gonna go on seven chapters later in Romans 8, and he's gonna say, praise God, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. This is good news. Because the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Two chapters later, he's gonna say, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved from any sin. And he's not just talking just about gay men and women, he's talking about all sinners. So about everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord. Paul also spoke about this to another church, the church of Corinth. Church of Corinth was a typical church in the Greco-Roman world that was consumed with sexual perversion. Now, Paul's gonna give some harsh words as well, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse nine, watch what the apostle Paul says. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Well, who are the unrighteous? Well, he tells us, do not be deceived, no sexually immoral person or no sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. What he's saying is, if you do these things, you are outside of the, you cannot expect the blessing of God on your life if you are living with this kind of conduct, right? But then he goes on, which is so awesome. And some of you, I love this line, and some of you used to be like this. Can anybody amen to that? What he's saying is you used to live this way, but you don't live this way any longer because you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Paul is speaking, get this, to a church that was known for ritualistic orgies, prostitution cults, and promiscuity. Friends, America, <laughs> has nothing on Corinth. 
and neither does HBO, right? But the system was really rampant with sexuality. In fact, it was so bad that they actually had a name for people who were influenced this way. They were called to be Corinthianized. If you were Corinthianized, it meant you were sexually perverted. And Paul is saying, if you continue to practice in this lifestyle, if you continue to do these activities, you are not and will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's pleading with the church. Now, at this point, I know what you're thinking, but Robbie, Jesus never mentioned the word homosexuality, right? I mean, Jesus never talked about it at all. And some assume that since Jesus never talked about it, he was okay with it. And since Jesus was okay with it, we should be okay with it. That's called the argument from silence, by the way. It's an argument from silence, meaning that Jesus was silent on the topic, so therefore he was neutral on the topic. The argument breaks down pretty quickly when you start to realize that Jesus didn't talk about a lot of things in the Bible. I mean, Jesus doesn't talk about home invasion, doesn't talk about alcoholism, he doesn't talk about drug abuse, he doesn't talk about rape, he doesn't talk about child sacrifices, he doesn't talk about human trafficking, all of these things, I think we would agree, you don't need to be a Bible scholar to agree that these things are condemned in scripture. Listen, even though Jesus doesn't talk about homosexuality, doesn't mean he doesn't reaffirm what he believes the Old Testament says. In fact, Jesus doubles down on the marriage covenant of one man and basically says, sex is reserved exclusively for the one man, one woman, one flesh, for one lifetime covenant. I mean, he says it in, one, says in many places. I'll give you one, Matthew 19, verse, verses four and five. Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female, and he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That word joined or flesh is this idea of being bonded together with superglue. And so Jesus is upholding the marriage covenant. Listen, the reason Jesus didn't mention homosexuality in the Bible is because it was already collectively condemned by the Jewish nation as sin. He, he, listen, he didn't have to give a reinterpretation of a law that was already culturally accepted. And by the way, when someone tries to play uh, the Jesus words card over other parts of the scripture card as if the red letters have more impact or influence than the black letters, right? Let me remind you of Jesus' own words when he said, let me remind you, not the smallest letter or the stroke of the letter of the Old Testament will pass away until all these things are accomplished. Paul's even gonna say all scripture. You know what the word all means in the New Testament? It means all of it, right? All scripture is breathed out by God. And for those who are on the internet and you've researched this topic, uh, you're, you're being subjected today, like we all are, to new interpretations, quote, of respected text or orthodox text by people like Matthew Vines or Colby Martin or Jen Hatmaker or Justin Lee who are basically taking these texts and, and, and giving new meaning on them and I'm not here to put them down, but I will say something about their exegetical interpretations. In order to get where they are getting, by the way, you have to do exegetical gymnastics on text that have been supported, that have been believed and affirmed by Christians, don't miss this, and biblical scholars for the past 
2,000 years of Christian history and 2,500 years of Jewish history before that. But listen, don't take my word for it. Don't, don't even just take what Pastor Robbie said. Take the Bible, listen, and read the Bible for yourself. And I want you to see what God has to say. Say, God, show me what you have to say about homosexuality. Don't listen to what someone else said. I'm convinced, you can't convince me otherwise, that if I give this book to a thousand people randomly who have never read the Bible and say to them, read it for a year and come back and tell me what you found, no one would come back and tell me they believe that God approves homosexual relationships and same-sex marriage. You can't convince me otherwise. But Robbie, are, are you saying that God didn't make me this way? Or are you saying that my sexuality and my identity are sin? Point number two, and this is the one I want you to get. Your sexuality is not your identity. If you're watching at home or in here, I want you to get this. Your sexuality is not your identity. We hear this a lot today. I'm a gay Christian. I'm a homosexual Christian. I'm a lesbian Christian. And, and, and what these individuals are doing is they are taking something they do to define who they are. Write this down. They are taking something they do to define who they are. And I want you to look at me, and I want you to hear me say this to you. You are not defined by your sexuality. I'll say it again. You are not defined by your sexuality. See, one of the root causes of how we got here is that we have elevated our sexuality to an unhealthy standard. Wouldn't you agree? Like the apex of human existence, the defining moment uh, or the defining action of, of human flourishing is sexual activity, and that is wrong. L listen to me. Being gay is not who you are. It is how you are. Big difference. It's a label for how you act upon your desires. It's a label for how you act, whether they're physical or mental. People actually take words that they use to describe experiences or words to explain behavior, and then they use them to identify themselves. I mean, for example, I don't, I don't meet you and introduce myself and say, hey, my name's Robbie, and I'm a, I'm a straight Christian. I, mean, I don't say that. Do you say that? Hey, my name's Robbie. I'm a heterosexual Christian. We don't say that. Why? Because there is no need for a modifier on the front end of a Christian. Like you don't say, hey, I'm a gay Christian, I'm a porn addicted Christian, I'm an alcoholic Christian, I'm an addict Christian. You just say, I'm a Christian. Here's the thing, there are only two categories in the Bible, Christian and non-Christian. Christians don't identify by gender, sex, or action. Our identity comes from God who created us, amen? I mean, that's where our identity comes from. I know today there's a big debate, and you've probably heard of it. It's the debate of whether a person was born gay or whether a person became gay. You're familiar with this. It's called the nature versus nurture argument. Were they, were they born this way by nature or were they nurtured in a home uh, or something happened in the past for them to get there? Now, this idea actually can be traced back to Sigmund Freud, 
a psychologist years ago, who basically said everything traumatic in a person's childhood, you, in order to determine where a person is today, you gotta trace it back to their childhood. Now, I don't agree with a lot of what he says, but in one respect, he's right. We have to trace what we're seeing today back to the beginning, but my friends, I have to submit to you, we have to go back beyond childhood to the fall. We have to go back to the beginning because that's where the problem came in. In the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, every single person inherited a sin nature and a propensity to sin. Because of that, all of us have desires that we shouldn't act upon. Now those desires are different. Some of them come in the form of alcoholism or sexual immorality or adultery or anger or promiscuity or violence, but it doesn't mean just because we have these desires, we should act upon the desires. Listen, God did not make you gay. God made you in his image. And the word image there in the Hebrew, watch this, is the word icon. Icon. And it doesn't mean that you and I, when he made us, will look like him or resemble his appearance. It means that we are a representation of God. That he gave us the same qualities. He made us with the same characteristics. We are of the same essence of God. However, as I mentioned earlier, we have inherited a sin nature and a propensity to sin. After the fall, you gotta understand, God's perfect creation was broken. And brokenness came into the world in the form of deviations from God's design. What, what do you mean, Robbie? What is brokenness? What are you talking about? Disease came into the world. That wasn't God's design. Sickness, cancer, gender, confusion, sexuality, compulsion, immorality, and other sorts of desires which are not God-honoring. You know, my question to people who argue whether they were born gay or whether they became gay is, why does it matter? It doesn't matter. Why? Because it doesn't matter how you got here. It matters where we go from here, right? And I would believe with all my heart, if Jesus were standing here today and he were, would say this to you, if you asked him, Jesus, am I, was I, did I become gay or was I born gay? Jesus would say, it doesn't matter because you must be born again. That's what he would say. And he would say that to the alcoholic. He would say that to the fornicator. He'd say that to the gossiper, the slanderer. He would say that to anyone in sin. I said this a couple weeks ago. The cure for your sin problem is not behavior modification. Try harder, do better, achieve more. That's not what it is. The cure for your problem is sin mortification, right? When you have a sin problem, you mortify it by confessing it and acknowledging it as sin and clinging to Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone tell you, the internet, social media, your friends at school, textbooks, anything tell you that your identity can be reduced to your affections. Don't let anybody take your experiences and replace your essence with them. I mean, I mean listen, you, you know my testimony. I was born with a disposition to be an addict. And I could just, well, my grandfather was an addict, my uncles were addicts, that's just who I am. I can justify my addiction. But friends, I'm born again, which means because of Christ, I am a child of the King. I am made in the image of God, yes. I mean, 
If you've been adopted into the family of God, so are you, right? You are joint heirs with Jesus, the Bible says. You are a new creation in Christ. You've been filled with the promised Holy Spirit. He has forgiven your past and future sins. And the Bible says no one and nothing can separate you or me from the love of God. If that's the case, Christians, listen to me. If that's the case, then don't you think those of us who have been forgiven much should show a lot of love much? Our job, is, our job is not just to point out someone's sin as much as it is to point people to Jesus. I mean, if this was a psychological problem, we'd send them to a counselor. If this was a medical problem, we'd send them to a doctor. But this is a spiritual issue, so what do we do? We send them to Jesus. Let me just remind you, the opposite, write this down, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. Parents say, I'm just praying for my gay son to be straight. No, the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. It's holiness. You pray for Jesus to cling to them as, as they cling to him. Salvation is, is not gonna mean for some of you, you're like, well, I, what if I get saved? Will he take away these same-sex attractions? Maybe not. For some he does, he doesn't for all. You may have to live with these same-sex attractions even as a Christian. However, it will require you to die daily to those sinful desires which are waging war, as Peter said, against your own bodies. Remember, Jesus never said, watch this, adjust to self. Jesus said, die to self. Jesus never said, indulge ourselves. He said, deny ourselves for the kingdom. But Robbie, is this really a big deal? I mean, really, can we not in the church just agree to disagree when it comes to sexual immorality? And I would submit to you the answer is no. Paul and Jesus would never allow us to agree to disagree on any sexual sin. In fact, anytime Paul confronted the church with sexual deviation or perversion in it, Paul said emphatically, flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because here's what's at stake. I know you think it's just, it's not a big deal. No, it's a big deal. What's at stake here is the trustworthiness of the Bible. See, when a culture can reinterpret the Bible to fit their present context or the Jesus of their own liking, the Bible ceases to be the word of God. And then what do we have? We have our own opinion, our own desires, and whatever the culture says is cool or right at the time. Friends, the Bible is clear, and I wanna say this with love today. If you, well, let me say it this way. If sex was only intended for a husband and a wife within the covenant of marriage, and you are single, then sex is not intended for you, whether you're heterosexual or homosexual. I said we'd answer the question, and hopefully you've gotten there after hearing what the Bible says and, and what Jesus had to say. So the question is, can I be gay and be a Christian? If you mean by being gay and being a Christian that you are committed to Jesus and serving him faithfully while still having 
homosexual attractions, but recognizing those attractions are not from God and confessing those attractions and resisting those attractions at the same time, then yes, of course you can be a Christian. Yes, you're a Christian. But if you mean by being gay and a Christian that you are committed to Jesus and you're serving Jesus while at the same time embracing your same-sex attraction, acting on those attractions and celebrating your gay identity, the Bible is clear, of course not. No, you're not a Christian in that lifestyle. The Bible would also say the same thing about a man or woman in here who embraces pornography and gives into it daily. I want to say this as we close. At Long Hollow, uh, we are a church, if you're here for the first time or you're watching online, we're a church where everyone here is welcome. The bar is pretty low when the pastor of the church is a former drug addict and alcoholic. There's not, there's not much lower you go. When God, if God can forgive someone like I was or, or the life I was living, then man, there's hope for you. And I hope you hear that today. But just because we're a church that welcomes everyone doesn't mean we have to affirm their lifestyle. See, you can be welcoming and affirming. I mean, welcoming without being affirming. You can love someone without agreeing with them. And so while, while they're, there's no limit to who is invited and welcomed here at Long Hollow. It doesn't mean we have to affirm their lifestyle. One thing I want you to know about this group of people here at Long Hollow is that we are all broken people. And every one of us is in desperate need of God's grace in our own life. I think you would agree, the church of Jesus Christ should be a place where we don't have to hide our scars or our struggles, right? I mean, this should be a safe place where we come alongside and realize everyone's broken and we all need grace. I mean, think about the life of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead and came back to the upper room to meet the disciples, he could have easily have hidden or healed his scars. But he didn't. In fact, when he walked in the room, it was those very nail-pierced hands and feet where the disciples recognized that's the Lord. Friends, you should not be ashamed of your past or your present. We serve a God who meets us right where we are and makes us whole again. Two things I want you to leave with about how God operates. What is out, write this down, what is outside of God's design is never outside of God's redemption. Isn't that good news? What is outside of God's design is not outside of his redemption. And if you are convicted about your past, there will be hope for your future. There is hope for your future if you're convicted about your past. If you're living in a homosexual lifestyle right now, I want you to look at me for a moment and I want you to hear this. God loves you and he's for you. And his commands are not life destroying, they're actually life giving. God is not someone to fear or even flee from. God actually wants to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And his rules and his regulations are life giving to you. And so he would say to you right now, lovingly, would you repent and return to me? Here's what I want you to know. You can live without sex. You cannot live without a savior. For those who are here today and you say, pastor, I have a son or a daughter who's in this lifestyle. 
I have a brother or a sister. I have a, I have a friend or a family member who's living a homosexual lifestyle right now. Let me remind you of two things. Number one, God loves him or her way more than you do. And number two, God is pursuing them way more than you are. So what would Jesus say if he were here today to a person living in a homosexual lifestyle? I think he would say the exact same thing that he said to the woman caught in adultery many years ago. Here's what he would say. I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. And so I wanna pray for us. I know in this room or online, there's a bunch of emotions and feelings and a lot of things in your mind right now. Maybe there's conviction over sin in your life. And it may not even be homosexual immorality, maybe heterosexual immorality in your life. And I just wanna say, if you feel that conviction today, that is the Holy Spirit lovingly calling you to repent and return to Him. And so in just a moment, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna pray, and after I pray, I'm gonna ask you, ask you just to come and to just bow down before the Lord. And if there's an issue in your life that you wanna confess, then you just come confess that to the Lord. Or maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Robbie, as you're talking, this person whom I love or, or who I love is, is, is in that lifestyle. And, and I just kept thinking about them. It's a son or a daughter or brother or a sister or a mom or a dad or a relative. And, and I just wanna ask you in just a moment after I pray, you're just gonna come and you're gonna just offer them up to the Lord. You're gonna place them before the Lord and allow the Lord to do what only he can do. God's the only one who can remove blinded, blind, blinders from the eyes. God's the only one who can soften a hardened heart, not you, not me. And so I wanna pray, and after I pray, if you just feel led to come, you just come and you're gonna offer that person, offer yourself before the Lord. Father, we, we know this is a sensitive topic and we're talking about people here. We're talking about life. We're talking about eternity. And we're talking about you wanting the best for us. God, your commands are not life crushing, but life giving. And who knows us better than the one who created us? And so God, I pray for those who are in this kind of lifestyle that they would be encouraged today to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. God, that there is restoration and redemption available for them. There is mercy new every day. Pray for those in any kind of sexual immorality, God, that you would set them free, showing them that they can't expect your best and live in sin. We thank you, Jesus, that you came back with scars on your hands to show us that even in our scars, you can redeem us and you can use those scars for your good and your glory. And so, Father, I pray right now, let us not be ashamed of our past, our present. Let us present our present and past before you and let you take it and heal it and restore it and use it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.